0: The following is a sermon from Pastor David Salinas of Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure foundationorg So our journey, our summer trip down the book of Ruth, is coming to a close, my dear family. How would you rate the trip so far? Thumbs up? Big thumbs up. Quite spectacular sights that we have seen along the way in this book, yes? As we now begin to head into this penultimate stage, the second to last stage in our journey of Ruth, it's maybe a little bit of time to reflect a little bit about some of the sights and images that we've seen on this path. And they've been many. There's that that sight, that stunning sight of that loyal and faithful young Moabite daughter-in-law clinging to her embittered and her sorrowing mother-in-law, even more clinging to that woman's God. There is that, that sight that has strange reflection to us today of, of an immigrant in a new land who is slaving away and admits to her undocumented status in the fields in which she is working. I do not even have the standing of one of your servant girls. She's less than a slave. There is the scene of the God-saturated man who is so open with his admiration and he holds that secret crush on this faithful and loyal young woman who's been so kind to his next of kin. There was that risky, risque-looking midnight maneuver that we saw last week of that young girl that, that, well, she looked like a prom date and smelled like the ocean, nestling up to the legs of this God-saturated man with just a few drinks in him, and you gasp, but by the hand of the Lord, it works out well. As, as we've seen all of these things, a question that we have to ask out loud is simply this, what does it all mean? What is the main point of this book and this journey of Ruth that we've been taking? What is the main thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to draw and to drink in and to live from every single day of our life as we journey onward to glory? That's what we're going to discover together this morning. And when we do, my prayer is that each one of us would be walking and going home Today on our journeys homeward, full of hope and, and tenacity in God's promises, and with this, with this bright awareness in our hearts that our lives mean much more than we think they do. Open up your worship folders, Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman-redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman-redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so, but if... You will not tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Mahlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he went to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. Amen. No, the sermon isn't over yet. You know me. My sermons are sagas. I say that, however, for this reason. I really wish, as I'm reading through this book of Ruth, that this beautiful story would come to a quick amen and a happily ever after right towards the end of verse 3. If it were up to me, Pastor Borman, this is how I would like Ruth to close, okay? 3, verse 11. Boaz accepts the marriage proposal that Ruth gives to him. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. Skip the rest of chapter 3, skip all of those verses of chapter 4 that I just read except for that last one, and then close off with, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he went to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Yeah, tack on the final blessings, list that genealogical listing to King David, projecting forward to King David's greater son, our Savior Jesus, a little maybe, a little happily ever after, and then amen, right? Right? What a perfect ending to this amazing story. And just to drive home that point in your heart, I want you to to reflect back to the image that we saw last week. And I mean, see the drama unfold, and if you want, you can even pick. I'll let you pick your favorite dramatic music that crescendos and builds up at that very important point in the scene. So there is Ruth, and her heart is pounding because she has just nestled up behind Boaz. And she takes the very tip of the corner of his robe and lifts up his feet, exposing at least his feet, if not his calves, and maybe it's the, narr- the narrator's even modest way of saying the entire lower half of his body. And she gets right up close, and she's praying hoping that this whole thing goes well. And the cool of the air and the warmth of her breath jostle awake Boaz. And he turns over, and there's just enough moonlight to reveal that there is a woman at his feet, but not enough moonlight for him to recognize who she is. Who are you? He asks. His own heart thumps. I am Ruth, and I am here because you are my Redeemer. You are the one who can redeem our family inheritance and and the family name from disappearing from the face of the earth. You are the one who can redeem me, a poor immigrant, from, from this bitter life of slaving away in some fields. And I want you to do that for me. Will you marry? No, 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 she doesn't say it out loud. This is all, this is all so, so subtle and so indirect. It is, it is seriously, profoundly romantic. She says all of that by just asking him to spread the corner of his garment over her. You see, in Hebrew, the corner of the garment, this piece right here, is called kanaf. And that is the same word for wing. And, and, and so it, it's like it's like Ruth is getting Boaz's loving intentions. Do you remember in chapter two when Boaz he comes, I know it's a long time to remember chapter two from this point on, but Boaz comes to Ruth and he's lavishing his kindness right he's got his eye on her he's, he's struck by her, lavishing her with kindness and, and she looks up to him and says, "Why are you showing me such such favor?" And basically he comes to say Be, because The loyalty that you have demonstrated to my next of kin, Naomi, shows that you have come to take refuge under the wings, the kanaf, of God. And from that moment on, we see Boaz spreading the garment of his protection and his blessing over Ruth in big ways. And and it's like his way of of, of saying to to Ruth, because you are the kind of woman that, that shelters underneath the wings of God, I want the opportunity to shelter my wings over you, and, and so now it's like Ruth is getting it. She's getting this this subtle intention and this loving this loving. I don't know, desire that this man shows, but he can't come right out and say it because, because he's a middle-aged man, and his gut is bulging just a little bit, and he's got the receding hairline and the graying beard, and she's this 20-something woman with this thin waist and this supple skin and this heart of pure gold. So this is all so subtle, all so romantic, all such an interplay. Would she get it? Would he get it? And when he hears that, there's kind of this immense silence, right? As as Boaz lets himself believe that this magnificent woman, whom he has come to love, actually loves him back, and 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 she has not done as he feared and run after the younger men. But she wants him. So it's so profoundly romantic. And it's midnight, and the stars are beautiful overhead, and they're all alone. And he says, yes, I will marry you. And that's all he does. On the threshing floor, he does not touch her. And the morning dawns on their purity. What a romance. What a couple. Profoundly in love. Subtle yet perceptive in communication with one another. Powerful in self-control. And committed to living under the wings of God. Amen. Amen. Let's get married. Let's have a baby. Let the line of the Savior continue. Let Naomi be full once again. Amen. The last thing on this earth that this story needs is another twist, not another hill, not another obstacle getting in the way of the beautiful closure of that story, right? I mean, anything but that, right? But oh no, what is this? What is this? Boaz spots trouble up ahead because... He says to her, although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Wait a minute. What? There is another man in the picture who can lay claim to Naomi's land and to the woman that Boaz loves. And Boaz, impeccably honest as he is, is going to give this man his legal shot at Naomi's land? You know what this is like right now? This is like watching your favorite team give up that big lead in the third quarter or the ninth ninth inning, and you can smell the air of inevitability because you know those words are coming that you just dread and that you just cringe, and sure enough, they come. Boaz gets to that town gate where all the legal transactions are done. He gets all the witnesses. Will you redeem uh, Naomi's land? And those four words in English that you are just dreading, they do come. I will redeem it. And you're like, no, we don't want you to redeem it. We want Boaz to redeem it. We want Boaz to take Ruth as his wife. Not another curve. What's going to happen to Boaz and Ruth? Well, Boaz, in this strategic play, this this majestic play that he does, it's almost like a chess game, he convinces that kinsman-redeemer, you don't really want the land, and you don't really want this Moabitess. No, you don't. You don't. And the man agrees. And so finally, amen, finally we can come to the conclusion of this story with all of its bitter hardships, its redemption story coming from bitterness to sweetness, and that beautiful conclusion, we can coast into safety, right? Not another curve. Could there be another curve on the horizon? Could there be another rock? Could there be another hill? The Spirit doesn't say so, but but maybe. I want you to listen again to the way that the narrator frames it in chapter 1, when we hear that Naomi and Elimelech have gone over to Moab, it says, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died. Could, could Ruth be struggling with infertility? Having married somebody and not having any children in that 10-year period. You see now one of the key takeaways from the book of Ruth. It is simply this that while the road to glory for the God, the, the road to glory for the godly is not flat, it is not straight, it is not easy, it is windy, and it is steep filled with potholes all along the way and roadblocks and boulders and things that you come upon this thing and it makes you put it in reverse and maybe we can go there and try there just so that you can go forward. Life for us is so full of setbacks and frustrations and problems and sins. Our church and our church body has problems. And until Jesus comes, that will always be true. We will either have people problems or we will have money problems. And the best sometimes that we can pray and hope for is that both are not in play in crisis mode at the same time. Our personal lives are one family conflict after another, one parent child skirmish after another, one mess to clean up after another, one marriage trouble and struggle after another one pressure, one deadline after another, one bout with temptation after another, one, one bout of illness after another. And this is the thing, that even though we know this to be true by experience, just the knowledge of that doesn't shore us up. But it wearies us. It wearies me. Ah. Why does it have to be so hard, is the, is the cry, the frustrated cry that I often hear and that I often feel in my heart. And, and there come those moments when you're right at that roadblock, right when that boulder is in your way, when you just can't help it. There is this thing inside of you that just wants to say, Lord, if you would please just listen to me once, just for a change. Just listen to me. I know what's best for my life. Things would work out so much better. So the other day, I was taken for a ride. You know, I'm always getting taken to the cleaners, but <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I was taken for a ride. One of the husbands of one of our lovely Hispanic members here at Cher Foundation likes to, likes to ride bicycles. So he said, okay, come with me. 6 in the morning, Saturday morning, we're out riding the bicycle from Maspeth. We end up in Fort Lee, New Jersey. So that's about a 30-mile bike ride um, on, on that morning. And um, and I discovered something by experience about the city that I have adopted as my very own that I, I kind of knew, but I learned, oh, did I learn, by painful, lung-searing, heart-pounding, quad-trembling experience. New York City is not flat, (laughs) it is full of hills. Maybe not San Francisco-type hills, but it has hills, and it has curves. And of course, there is plenty of car along the road path clogging up the way, and you're always having to go back in order to go forward and make these crazy sharp turns, especially on the bends around the bridges over into Manhattan and up the west side. So, I'm on my way to the Washington Bridge, and I can see this thing on the horizon there, just like, oh, please. and there's one thought that's going through my head, one thought alone. Let this be the amen. Please, not another hill, not another curve, not another r- obstacle and roadblock. And there I am, and, and the, the entrance to the Washington State Bridge is so narrow, two pedestrians can barely make through it. So, here I am, ride, half riding and half rowing with one leg, my bicycle up the hill, But then it happens, 7 in the morning, and I'm cresting over the Washington Bridge and I turn left. And I can see a sight that made me gasp, but not not because I lost my breath, but because of the awe. So 7 in the morning, and the rays of the eastern sun are alighting over these towering monoliths and the steel and the glass is sparkling, and the ripples over the Hudson are shimmering, all that grandeur from a city on earth like no other, and all that history. And I thought to myself, I have seen it. I have seen it with my own eyes. I am not another How my heart burns within me even after I think about that. The Lord Jesus gave me that sweet, sweet delight to see a city in all of its sparkling, dazzling glory. And that's when it struck me. That's when I knew what this book and what this journey has been all about. It is this, that while it is true that that the road To glory for the godly is not straight, flat, and easy, but full of curves and full of ups and and full of potholes and things in the way we will make it. God will see to it that we make it through. And and just to be clear, in case it hasn't, when I say that we're going to make it, I don't just mean that we're going to make it through the next frustration, the next setback, the next temptation onto a peaceful thing here in this world. I mean that we are going to make it through this life to one day cast our eyes on a city like no other with, with the glory of the Son of God alighting over the city and the towering throne of God will jut up and you will see it, you will see it, that rainbow over the throne and it will sparkle and it will shimmer and it will dazzle and the glassy sea before you will sparkle and shimmer without any trouble, without any sin, without any mourning or crying or death or struggle or pain. None of it. You will see it in all of its glory and you will hear it. You will see the grandeur and you will have that history before you in full living color. Ancient but unaged saints and angels singing full throat to the Lamb and to the glory of God. And after your flesh has been destroyed, you will rise and you will see it with your own eyes. You will see it with your own eyes. You and not another. Let your heart burn within you now. Let your heart burn within you now. I say this to my young ones who are still strong and full of hope but who have a whole lot of twists Whole lot of struggles and detours and boulders awaiting you on your path I say these to the men in the middle who have been through a lot already, but you're kind of like that middle part is the tough part to be in because you know you've been through a lot and you still have a ways to go. I say this to those who are a little bit older and who have seen their share of battles. Can look back and see those twists and turns in your life, but who have that one last final hurdle death looming. The best is yet to come. It is for you. And how can I be sure? Because God has sworn it on the blood of His own Son from eternity. You heard the Apostle Paul. God chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world for this purpose, to be holy and blameless, to let our eyes cast upon this city and all of its amazing splendor. And you are one of those. I know this to be true because God has been working throughout all of history, including your own personal history, to assure it. We have that certain promise already in Ruth because how God closes and ties the bow off to this story, Ruth does conceive, and we know that the the Redeemer, the line of the Redeemer continues, and we have our Redeemer who has redeemed us in every way that we need redemption for the purpose of getting us to glory. The best for you is still to come. that truth in mind don't you walk out on me now without hoping oh fiercely don't you go home without holding tenaciously to the promises of God he is for you in all things in all circumstances rejoice and give thanks because you know that your lives mean much more than you ever think they do God is weaving and making that path to you and using everything along the way for that final plotting of glory that he has put down already in eternity. Well, I think we made it. Here we are. Finally, the word we've all been done.